All right, we are looking at Hebrews 13, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then verses 20 and 21. Let's give our attention to God's Word. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And in verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Bible says that all men are like grass and that all man's glory is like the flower of the field. And that the grass withers and the flowers fade away, but God's word stands forever. So let me pray for us before we look at it further tonight. Father, we stop and we ask that you would be with us. And that you, by your Holy Spirit, would do the work necessary for us to hear. In and of ourselves, we are deaf to your word. So would you open our ears, would you open our hearts, and would we hear from you? Would we hear about your your goodness, your grace, and your mercy to us in Jesus? And we ask it in his name. Amen. Uh, This last, um, well, really this fall semester, our oldest son, Miles, played baseball. And he was one of the pitchers on his team, and this was was the first time that he had pitched. And so he was... uh, obviously uh, inexperienced and had to sort of learn on the fly. And uh, early in one of the games that he was pitching, uh, the coach was, you know, from the dugout hollering various instructions at him in an an encouraging way, Uh, you know, telling him things that he needed to do or, you know, not do. And so, you know, he would say, Miles, you know, make make sure you extend your arm. Uh, Miles, um, you gotta, you got to cover the plate if it gets past the catcher. Miles, you've got to do this. You know, giving him lots of instruction. And it's all good stuff. But at, at one point you could tell that, uh, or coach could tell that he was, he was kind of overwhelming Miles with this information. So he called time out and, and he went out to the, uh, to the mound. And he said, hey, Miles, smile. Because this is a baseball game. It's supposed to be fun. Okay? Just relax. Have fun. And so you see what he's trying to do, right? right? He's trying to give Miles sort of a final word on things to help put everything else in context. Right? He's been giving him lots of good instruction, but he's basically saying, look, you've got to understand all of that stuff in light of the bigger picture, right? In light of this last thing that I want to tell you. And he's basically saying, look, it's, it's going to be okay. It's all going to work out. 
And that, I think, is essentially what the author of Hebrews is doing here uh, in these last couple of verses that we have, in verses 20 and 21. He's basically telling us, he's giving us a final word that helps us understand what's come before. And he's basically telling us it's going to be okay. So the author of Hebrews has spent the whole of Hebrews telling us how great Jesus is. That he's better than than we can imagine. And then uh, if we had gotten to look at it, right, the the six verses that we just read, and if we had gotten to, like I said, spend an entire sermon on it, uh, really the bulk of chapter 13, what you see is that he's been giving the readers, giving us even, instructions in the Christian life. Right? Uh, things like, um, you, he says, you need to live your lives like this. Like, you need to love other people. You need to be sexually pure. You need to not love money. Those sorts of things. And so those, that can, in a sense, be overwhelming to, to hear those things and, and to realize, especially to realize, to see your own life in contrast with that. And it's like the author of Hebrews, he comes along and he says, look, but here's the final word you need to hear. Here's what you've got to, got to understand. And he, again, he basically says, don't worry. It's going to be okay. Um, and so very quickly tonight, I want us to see three things about this sort of final word that he gives. This good word that he gives. The three things we're going to see are these. One, that God cares about us. Two, uh, that God is fixing us. And third, that God's work is certain. All right, so first, what we see is that God really does care about us. He really does actually and truly care about us, about people. Uh, You see in a couple of places. First, he refers to God as the God of peace. Right? He, he wants us to not forget. Don't forget that God is the one that he's taken sinful people that actually hate him. Right? We come into this world not neutral but bent against God. Not wanting anything to do with him. We treat him like an enemy. And God takes those people and he himself initiates and, and accomplishes a program of salvation to, to bring to bring the enemies in, to reconcile us to him. In other words, it was all God's idea. We've talked about that before. This, it, it was God moving towards us because he cares about us. Um, second, he refers to Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus referred to himself that way uh, in John 10. Right in the Old Testament, you see God refers to himself as a shepherd throughout the Old Testament. Uh, You know, you might think of uh, Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. And so what's the picture? Well, shepherd and sheep, right? That, That you and I are like sheep, which is actually not very flattering. Because sheep are really pathetic. They need everything. They can't find food on their own. They can't defend themselves in any way. They need everything done for them. And the picture is of the shepherd, the one that takes good care of them, that makes sure they have everything they need, that provides for them, protects them. And that God is the caring shepherd. 
And I think that's easy for us to forget. I don't know if this illustration is going to make sense, but I'm going with it. Um, if you're like me, you have no idea about cars as far as like how to fix them or what's wrong with them if they break. You just you know how to drive it, and it gets you places. And so you need somebody that you can trust to fix it when it goes wrong, right? You go to the mechanic, it's sort of this vulnerable moment of, I sure hope you're a decent person, right? Will you, do you care about me at all? And uh, because there are always those stories, right, of mechanics taking advantage of people that have no clue what is wrong with their car, and it's going to cost you about $700, right? And I have one of those stories. Uh, right after I graduated in Oxford, I took my car in to get the brakes fixed at the closest place to where I worked. And when I picked it up, it was worse off than when I took it in. And so I took it back, and he said he'd fix it, and I got it back, and it wasn't any better. This is not an exaggeration. Seven times. And on the seventh time, seven On the seventh time, I walked in. I said, is it ready? And he said, it is. Give me just a minute. And I heard him go into his office, pick up the phone, make a call, and say, hey, do you have, uh, I think he had told me which part, you know, I needed. So I hear him go in his office, call, and he's calling the parts place, and he says, do you have a whatever part? And he waits. And like, are you sure? Nothing? All right, never mind. Hangs up, walks back out of the office and says, yep, ready to go. Tosses me the keys. And I can vividly remember thinking, this guy doesn't care about me at all. Not, he doesn't care one bit about me. And I think, I think that we can tend to think about God sort of like a mechanic in that regard. We're not really sure that he cares much about us at all. We're at least suspicious, right? Um, we can tend to think he's probably just looking to get what he wants out of this deal, which is probably going to involve taking advantage of me. Right? Does God really care about me? If so, well, then why, why does this, whatever this is, happen to me? Why am I going through this? I'm not so sure that he cares. Or can I really trust God and his word? Can I really trust him with my, with my money? Or with my sexuality, or with my grades, or with fill in the blank. Because I'm not really sure that he cares about me. And this passage is coming along and saying, yes, he cares about you deeply. That he, that everything about Everything about him is about caring about you in in the most minute detail. Because he, he, after all, is the God of peace, the one that moved towards us. Uh, I was filling out a a reference for a uh, uh, somebody had applied to be a camp counselor. And so they, you know, the camp sends me a uh, email and I fill out a reference about them. And one of the questions was uh, about this uh, potential counselor was about their sociability. In other words, it was about how do other people receive them? And here was the list that I could choose from. So is this person uh, by others, are they sought out? 
Or are they well-liked? That was the next one. Or are they accepted by others? Or are they tolerated by others? Or are they rejected by others? Right, you see the, the ranking there. And I want you to think about that list. How do you think about how God receives you? Do you feel like God just, do you feel like God rejects you? Or just tolerates you? Or, or accepts you? Or that you're well liked? Because this passage, among plenty of others, says that God cares so much about you that he has actually sought you out. That he wants to be with you because he cares about you. That's good news. All right, the second thing I want us to see from this passage very quickly is that God is going to fix us. And this, I think, is probably the main idea of this benediction. Um, It basically says that God is at work on us so that we can do his will, right? So that we can live like we're supposed to live. And I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you. But if you're like me, that's good news because I, I don't do what I'm supposed to do. And I, I can't fix me. I can't stop doing the wrong things. And I can't start doing right things in and of myself. I can't fix, I can't fix the way my heart works. I can't fix my messed up desires. But this passage tells us that, that God is working on that stuff to fix it. Verse 21, it says, God will equip you with everything good that you may do his will. And that word equip sort of makes it sound like Sunday school or like sitting through a seminar or something like that. But the word actually means to, to fix or to restore or make useful again, to make whole. And that's what God is doing to us. He is actively and necessarily always about the business of fixing us, making us right. Um, I used to get to fly fish a lot, like used to like 15, 16 years ago. Um, and if you know anything about fly fishing or if you don't, uh, fly fishing is done with very, very thin and very fine line at the end. And so you're swinging a lot of this, you know, very thin line around. And it can get into just an unimaginable tangle. Right? So that basically to render your, your attempts at fishing utterly useless. And so you, when that happens, because it will, you, you pull it in and you look at it. You've got this just rat's nest of line. And you've got two options. One, you can cut it and start over and get new line. But doing that in and of itself is sort of a tedious process. You've got to you know, redo it all. And, and it eventually is going to get expensive to some degree doing that. Or your second option is to go through the process of picking that thing apart. Of slowly and patiently, you pull and you push. You can't tighten it too much. And, and you work it and you massage it and you, and you keep working at it. Very patiently trying to get it back to right. And I want you to see that that, I think that's a pretty good picture of what God does with us. 
that he makes us right again. Um, that he takes the mixed up motives and, and, and you know, twisted inner workings of our heart and of our lives. And he slowly and patiently starts putting it back to right. And he's always and constantly doing it. Always at work. And now look, this process, the process, it, yes, it involves our, our working, right? Our trying to live rightly and put sin to death and those sorts of things. But I want you to hear this just as good news. I just want you to hear the good news that this is just true. That God is at work to make you better. Because that's a truth that will let you get out of bed in the morning and keep trying. Right? When you're... Because you know that God is at work. It means you can try it again. When you find yourself having failed, you swore you wouldn't do it again, and you've, you've tried not to, and you find yourself doing it again. Well, you actually can know because of, of verses like this, right? Because of God's truth, that you're actually not a lost cause. That you can actually, you can actually go at it again. And not just throw your hands up and like, what's the point? I'm never going to get any better. But when you see your sin pop up again, you can actually not be defeated by it because you can know that God's working on you. And it's actually this, I don't know if we have time to get into this, but God actually uses those times of defeat, maybe even the most in that process. Because it's, they're necessary to the process. Because they force us, when we're defeated like that by our sin, right? It forces us to see our need and, and therefore to go to Jesus with it. And when we do that, what we find is Jesus' grace and mercy, that he really loves us and he accepts us as screwed up sinners. And that actually propels our love and our obedience for him. So God's constantly at work fixing us and putting us back. Thirdly and finally, I want you to see very quickly that God is sure to do it. Because how how can we know that God is going to do that? How can you have any assurance that God is going to finish with you, right? That he's going to see you through to the end, that he's going to fix you and not just cut you off, right? Like, Like use fishing line that's just more trouble than it's worth. Clip. Because again, if you're like me, definitely feel like I think there are times that God looks at me and just, you know what? Forget this. I'll find some other line to deal with. So how can you know that he's, he's not going to do that? And the answer is because of the blood of the covenant. You see that in the passage. And the answer is because Jesus' blood was spilled. It's because of the blood of the covenant. A covenant is a, an agreement in blood that basically says, I'm going to do my part, and if I don't do my part, my blood is going to be spilled. I'm going to die. And now you might be thinking, but I haven't done my part. Exactly. But look at the good news, right? Look at what this is saying. You and I have not done our part, but the blood has already been spilled. Jesus has given himself on our behalf. It's done. It's, it's something that's actually finished. It's accomplished. It's fixed. Right? God accepted Jesus' sacrifice, his blood, and, and the validation of that is that he raised him from the dead. It's done. 
And so that means that we, we don't measure ourselves or we don't measure how much God loves us or how close we are to getting cut off, right, snipped off from God or maybe how much he's going to keep us around based on our performance, how good or bad we're doing. God doesn't deal with us on the basis of our performance, but he deals with us on the basis of Jesus's performance. And his performance is finished and it's done. He's promised us. It's stamped in the blood of the covenant. You get to look at the blood and see that it's already been spilled. So when you see your sin, when you, when you feel your sin, that's where you go. You go to Jesus. And if you go to Jesus in faith, which, which simply means if you go to Jesus empty and needy and broken then you can know that God will not, and and in fact, he cannot ever cut you off like fishing line because Jesus got cut off. He cut Jesus off. And instead, you can know that God is patiently working on all the twisted ins and outs of your heart. And he's always working to fix you. And he's doing it because he cares about you. Because he loves you. And that's the good news. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for we thank you for good news, for amazing news. For the truth that that you promised to save us, even though we were your enemies, that you sent Jesus, that you sent your Son, and that He came and that He accomplished what we could not. Father, thank you for that truth. I thank you for, for you. I would, would, would everyone in this room come to know you and love you? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.